1: It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
2: You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by E.J. Stewart and Tommy Beard. Let's get to it, New York. Okay, we enter year four of the Leon Rose regime. So... Uh, Many kind of didn't know what to expect from this regime. You know, of course, he's a longtime agent, but this is a first-time go for him as a basketball executive. Do you think the Knicks brass is comfortable where the franchise is positioned right now, given where they are not just in the Eastern Conference but in the NBA pecking order as we enter year three of the Leon Rose era? Yeah, I think they feel good about it. I mean, they've they've made the playoffs twice,
1: bounced back from a tough 21-22 season. Um, their big free agent acquisition so far, Jalen Brunson, has outperformed probably anybody's expectations outside of himself. Uh, Rick Brunson and Leon Rose and Tom Thibodeau and William Wesley. He was fantastic. So I think by and large, you have to like where you are if you're Leon Rose. And more importantly, uh, Nick Governor Jim Dolan, I, I assume that he likes where the Knicks are right now under Leon Rose's stewardship. So There have been hits, there have been misses, but by and large, they're in a spot now where they've got the draft capital, they've got the young players to be involved in in bigger trades, and they also feel like they have this young core together here now where they can win on their own um, without that big acquisition, although we all know the expectation is that big acquisition is going to come at some point.
0: Yeah, Beggs, do you think with the success they've had last season and obviously you mentioned that the draft capital and the young players on favorable team friendly contracts that they're still kind of eyeing the, you know, waiting for that shooter drop, whether it's Embiid or Doncic or one of the huge megawatt names Um, with that success last year kind of bought them some time. They don't have to make a push for, say, a guy like Karl-Anthony Towns or Zach Levine or something along those lines.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, both things are true. I think they did earn themselves some rope here by last, by last season, winning a playoff series, uh, getting to a place that not many observers had had them going second round of the playoffs. So they certainly bought themselves some time where you saw, like, I think pretty sure if they wanted to have Carl Anthony Towns to trade for Carl Anthony Towns, if they wanted to do that this summer, they could have gotten that done. So they did take a patient approach here. And so, they do have more clock. But I, at the same time, you know, we heard James Dolan on the record in an interview with WFAN saying one of the reasons he brought Leon Rosen was because of his connection to star players. So, you know, clearly the governor's expectation in Dolan is that they eventually land a big star. Now, they hit a home run with Jalen Brunson, but I think there's there's still more to be done when you're talking about big player acquisitions. They're in. No rush, clearly, and they don't have to be in a rush, Tommy, because
2: as you mentioned,
1: they had that big year last year.
2: And turning back the clock just to last season, because we saw the Donovan Mitchell negotiations play out over the course of months that ended up with him not becoming a New York Knick. Since then, we've heard various names come up. We've heard the OG on We've heard the um, Zach Levines come up recently, called the Towns this offseason as well. Since the Donovan Mitchell, situation and the fallout from that have the Knicks come anywhere close to making one of those big kind of moves or are they kind of been not close at all in, in terms of bringing in a star player maybe not of Mitchell's caliber but maybe a little lesser than that
1: yeah my understanding on Ananobi was that they were ready to be aggressive at the deadline but there was a concern about if Ananobi would then sign in New York long term if they traded for him so I, I would assume that that's probably the closest they got in terms of acquiring a, you know, a a very talented player after those Donovan Mitchell talks. I don't think anything has gotten close to date for them. I was told a couple weeks ago that they had a a level that they were comfortable going for a player like Harden and they weren't going to exceed that level. So, you know, the the price falls to where they're comfortable with it. Maybe they go ahead there, Uh, but I can't see that happening. And so I don't think they've gotten super close on anything else. They had some contact with the Bulls on Zach Levine. I was never under the impression that they they got into consequential talks on Levine. So I think Ananobi was probably the closest they got, and that's something to keep an eye on for me at least going into the season because we don't know kind of where Toronto is. What are they going to do? Um, are they going to pivot at some point to trade off some of their top players? Does that mean Siakam? They've had talks on Siakam. They haven't had talks on Ananobi, as far as I know. As of earlier this month, they were not engaging on Ananobi. But during the season, maybe things change. So that's why I would keep an eye on the Ananobi situation if I were a
0: Nick fan. You know, we talked about keels the, their lone draft pick the last two seasons, and the other move, re, re, you know, regarding a draft pick was Obi Toppin, who they basically dumped for, you know, just second round pick. So obviously, not the ideal scenario would have played out, and there are reasons why Obi's tenure didn't uh, wasn't as successful as either side would have hoped. Um, that being said, they're entering. You know, it seems like their their one obviously their one big move this offseason was signing Dante Divincenzo. Um, do you feel that they're comfortable? heading into next season with we would what we would view as kind of a lack of a true backup power forward? Do you think they're comfortable playing Josh Hart, big minutes there, maybe Barrett will spend some time kind of um, at the four spot, um, or do you think they bring in a veteran year before, uh, before camp starts?
2: Based on what I had
1: heard just in terms of the comfort level with this current roster, what I heard in terms of people in touch with the Knicks um, a few weeks ago was that they – didn't think that they knew that other moves had to be made. Now, I don't know if that meant something before training camp or if that meant just a bigger picture, you know, we're not done constructing this roster. But I think there's there was a belief, according to people in touch with them, that they knew, you know, some other moves had to be made to balance this thing out. Specifically, though, on the backup four, I have to think that they have a comfort level with Josh Hart, R.J. Barrett, getting minutes at, and small lineups at the four behind Julius Randle uh, because that that rotation last year, as you guys know, that nine-man rotation, that turned the season around for them. And so if you're going to bring in somebody else, bring in another free agent, Michael Green, whoever it is, you're opening things up to a 10-man rotation. And I just think that based on how things went last year, with nine guys, Thibodeau would want to stick that nine-man rotation. So I, I just think there's a level of, of comfort there going into the year without that traditional backup four because you can mix, you can match. Bigger lineups, maybe you see Jericho Sims, Tom Thibodeau like the lineups where Sims and Isaiah Hartenstein shared the floor when Mitchell Robinson was out last year. So I think there are options there that don't include bringing in an outside free
2: agent. Tommy mentioned the departure of uh, Obi Toppin. And a lot has been made of the relationship Toppin may or may not have had with Tom Thibodeau or how he felt about his role. Was there any toxicity that you understand regarding his relationship with Tibbs and the Nick organization, or was this just kind of a, Hey, we're just doing business and this is what's best for you. This is what's best for us. And we're just going to move on.
1: I think there was frustration on Obi Toppin's part. I, I don't know um, if I would call it toxicity because that reaches a higher level. And there's, All three of us know there's been plenty of toxicity around the Knicks in the past, so we know what that level is. So maybe I wouldn't go there, but Obi certainly wanted a bigger role. He wanted more minutes. He wanted consistent minutes, um, and he would get yanked after a mistake or two uh, pretty regularly over his three-year tenure with the Knicks. So certainly there was frustration there, and I think Obi looks at this Indiana situation as a chance to show what he can do Excuse me, and to – earn more minutes, earn a bigger rotation spot. And so I think there's optimism there. But uh, again, yeah, I don't think it was just strictly business. I do think there was some frustration there. But I'll say this too. Uh, you know, Tom Thibodeau has made decisions around some of these younger Knicks um, and the decisions so far, by and large, seem to have been validated by what's happened. I'm thinking about Cam Reddish. I'm thinking about Kevin Knox. I'm thinking about Dennis Smith Jr., you go back and you see who he's played and who he hasn't played in terms of the young guys, and it seems like he has a pretty good read on on what's going on in his gym and, and who, can, who deserves minutes, who doesn't. Maybe he was wrong on Topping, we'll find out, but just recent history suggests that he has a pretty good read on things when it comes to young players.
0: Uh, yeah, I think we'll we'll all circle the Knicks-Pacers game uh, next year on, uh, on our calendar and look forward yes. to it. Um, speaking of young Knicks uh, and their uh, relationships with the front office and the coaching staff, Emmanuel, quickly, kind of the one piece of business moving uh, the remainder of the summer. Up, you know, the Knicks have right up until the night before the start of the 2023-24 regular season to sign him to a contract extension. Um, two questions. Uh, gut feeling, do you think the two sides agree to a contract extension prior to the start of the season? And if I told you the over-under, I put the number at four years, let's say $90 million. Do you think um, it's under or over that number?
1: Yeah, I would say I, I do think that they're more likely to come to an agreement than not. I mean, Quickly has has earned a significant salary based on the way he has uh, taken steps forward over the course of his career, particularly last season. I don't think the Knicks are in position where they can uh, potentially lose him for nothing, which would be next year when he's a restricted free agent. So I would assume that they do come to an agreement. As far as that four for 90, if I'm guessing right now, I probably would say a little bit under, a little bit under, um, I don't, you know, 20 in that area, a little over 20, a little under 20. I think that's kind of the sweet spot, Uh, but you know, the idea that quickly has had this big season, and I would assume he and his representation will want to take advantage of that. I wonder if there's it's difficult for a team and player to find common ground on a number, but if I'm making a guess, I would guess that it's a under four for 90.
2: Interesting. So we talked earlier about uh OB Top and, and one of the players, one of the reasons why he's gone is essentially is because he was blocked by. Julius Randle, who remains a a polarizing player among Knicks fans, despite making two all-NBA teams in the last three years. Um, It it appears the team doesn't seem to share the same frustration as some fans with some of his uneven play and his demeanor. Have the Knicks ever seriously considered trading Julius Randle? And if not, what do the Knicks see that maybe some of his detractors don't?
1: I I think there was strong consideration given to the idea of moving Julius that offseason that they drafted Obi Toppin. Um, outside of that, I'm not sure. I don't know if maybe before the <clears throat> excuse me, Halliburton top draft, too, there was consideration that Halliburton Toppin draft, there was consideration <clears throat> to moving him. But I don't know how close things got to the finish line. But obviously, it didn't happen. And I know that there are definitely people up and down the organization including very top that think very highly of Julius Randle and appreciate what he has done for this Knicks team night in and night out Uh, in terms of the disconnect between what, how the organization views Julius and how fans do. I mean, I I don't know Like that's an individual kind of debate that a fan could have with Leon Rose. Like I'm not sure where all, how all the fans feel, those disgruntled fans feel about Randle, but I think in general, the Knicks see Randle as more valuable to them, on their team playing night in and night out then he would be in trading him and getting, you know, X, Y, Z back. That might not uh, equal the sum of what Randall brings to them every night and has brought to them every night for more often than not over the past three years. So I think that's part of it. I, I don't think anyone is untouchable, but coming into this offseason, things that I'd heard and early on in free agency were that he was highly unlikely to be moved um, and, and, maybe for a, a top player he would have been moved but there was no appetite towards you know just getting off of him just to get mm-hmm. off of him and clearly that was the case when the knicks opted to trade Obi Toppin. because you're saying without saying it that julius is continuing to be our guy he's going to continue to get major minutes for us at the four spot
0: Yeah, Nick's uh, more committed to uh, Mr. Randall now more than ever. Uh, One player where there is obviously a disconnect between player and coach and franchise, uh, at least based on his comments, Evan Fournier um, has, uh, you know, with that recent interview this offseason, you know, kind of let it be known, understandably so, as a proud professional um, that he's kind of been frustrated to not be a part of the rotation. Um, Do you think – uh, it's a given that he's traded uh, in the next month or so, next two months before the, the start of the season, or do you think there's a possibility Knicks hang on to him knowing that his 18, million, $19 million contract could be, you know, ballast in a larger trade in, in terms of salary cap filler. Uh, they hold on to the deadline. Do you think that's a possibility as well?
1: Yeah. I mean, just from a, a human perspective, I, I would hope that the Knicks find something that works for them, sending Evan Fournier somewhere else. Uh, Cause you know, Basketball decisions or basketball decisions, and from a basketball perspective, the decision to remove Fournier from the rotation uh, was justified based on the results because the Knicks took off when they had that nine-man rotation after removing Fournier and Derek Rose. But you know, you're you're putting this guy kind of in the closet for another season, uh, another half a season. I just don't think that's that's a great way to do business. I know the Knicks value his contract highly as a Expiring deal. And, you know, a lot of teams, given the new CBA, uh, would love to have a big expiring contract because it would allow them to shed some salary. I know that the Spurs and the Knicks have talked during the offseason about Fournier. I know some people with the Spurs saw f- the benefits of adding Fournier to the roster, but I think that the Knicks have been totally unwilling to attach any draft compensation to a Fournier deal. And so maybe that's a sticking point there. And there's going to be, different trades made, I think, between now and training camp, now and the start of the regular season. So I think the Knicks are going to have opportunities again to move 48. Uh, But at this point, I don't know, it just feels like they're, they're comfortable going into the season with him on the roster, out of the rotation, and disgruntled again.
2: Ian Bagley joins us of s and uh, I want to talk quickly about Dante DiVincenzo, a player the Knicks did add uh, this offseason. Of course, John Hart liking to opt into his uh, one-year uh, player option, allowing uh, the Knicks to give Dante the full mid-level exception. How do the Knicks envision DiVincenzo's impact on the club this year? Yeah, I think uh,
1: similar to Josh Hart. and They're not carbon carbon copies of each other. Uh, I don't think it's fair to say that, but there's the idea that DiVincenzo versatile defensively and brings a lot on offense as far as, you know, being able to cut without the ball. He knocked down, I think, 39% of his threes last year with Golden State. So if he can replicate that, he helps the Knicks in perimeter shooting where they could use the help based on what we saw in the playoffs last year. So I think he brings a lot. I think he's a versatile player and, and they see him just bolstering that second unit and maybe like hard a player who can slide in and out of that starting lineup in the second unit because of his versatility. So I know that you know, Leon Rose had seen uh, DiVincenzo as a target entering even the draft and uh, looking ahead towards free agency. So he was he was a top near not at the top of their board and they got their guy. And So you know, we'll see how it works out to me. The interesting thing is if DiVincenzo comes in and plays, you know, he's got to play 20 plus minutes. Who does that take minutes away from? How do you work that out with the backcourt slash wings? Who does not, who doesn't get minutes with DiVincenzo coming in here and getting minutes, significant minutes this coming season. It's going to be interesting to see how Tom Thibodeau uh, wades his way through that situation.
0: Uh, last one from me, uh, Begs, and, and thanks again for for joining us today. Really appreciate the time. Um, you know, we talked about Randall. We talked about uh, you know, and well, and Brunson's obviously you know is, as untouchable as a, as a Nick can be at this at the current moment. Um, Barrett, do you think you know they view him along those same lines as kind of a core, one of those uh, you know essential pieces for the movement of the franchise, or? if the right deal came along, the right opportunity to improve, whether that's an OG on an or, or a player of a similar ilk um, that they'd include to, you know, it would include him in a deal. Do you get the sense um, that, you know, that the way they feel about Barrett is is kind of, uh, you know, they, they place him at that high pedestal.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, based on last off season, he was certainly involved in those Donovan Mitchell trade talks. And, and there were people in the organization who were very comfortable putting RJ Barrett in the trade to get Donovan Mitchell. Obviously, Leon Rose ultimately was not one of those people who was comfortable doing that. They decided to extend Barrett, decided not to trade for Donovan Mitchell. So But I look at it through that prism, and I say to myself, if there were people over there who were willing to, to push, not to push him out, but to include R.J. Barrett in a trade for a player like Donovan Mitchell, I would assume that those same people would be willing to include Barrett in a deal for another player of Mitchell's caliber. So I don't think... You know, anybody is untouchable other than who you said, Tommy, Jalen Brunson, in terms of big time trades. Uh, but I do think, though, that there's an appreciation for how Barrett bounced back in the postseason. First two games didn't shoot it well and then came on in a huge way for this Knicks team was a big reason. They won that Cleveland series and had a steady playoff performance. I got a question for you, Tommy. I want to know. Where are you on Randall and Tibbs right now? I know you've been down on those guys in the past over certain segments of their time here. Where are you on those guys right now?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, they, they've they earned the right to, uh, to 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 kind of proceed as as they have been. Um, you know, I thought the OB situation was untenable. Um, I think it's unfortunate kind of the way it's played out. I would certainly prefer... Tibbs to be able to hold Randall's feet to the fire a little bit more. I don't know whether he does that behind the scenes. Um, I would encourage him to kind of, you know, when there are instances of Randall not hustling that bad body language that I think is a little bit contagious um, and, and can be detrimental to the overall impact of the team. Um, that being said, I totally understand the front office's desire to hold Randall. And one of the reasons I think they, value him so much is the same reason that tibbs does is because regular season wins matter um and very few players have provided the consistency the durability the production um, that Randall has so I think it, it makes sense that they're you know that they're committed to him going forward we'll see how it plays out and you know I, I understand they want to keep him but if there is a strong suitor you know if if let's say you know hypothetically the Sixers want to do a deal and they don't want to hit the complete rebuild button having Randall on that very team-friendly contract to send back is another situation that could benefit both parties so uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out.
2: Yeah, I've been one who I, I've been waiting for the split of the Tibbs and Randall. To me, I, I'm looking to see if Randall maybe could reach a new level with with a new coach who will, like Tommy said, hold his feet to the fire. Okay, last one for you, Ian, because I would be remiss not to ask about it. You know it. I know it. Tommy knows it. The rumblings about Joel Embiid and whatever is going on with the situation in Philadelphia. We know James Harden has requested a trade. He's not happy. Joel Embiid saying that, you know, I I may win a championship here or elsewhere, which created a lot of headlines. And I know you reported that he had met with uh, Daryl Morey to recommit, essentially, to the organization. Simple question. Why do the Knicks continue to be linked to Embiid, a guy who has not yet requested a trade, and by all accounts, the Sixers aren't looking to trade him?
1: Yeah, I think that's part of the nature of how kind of – fans and media view the NBA landscape, but here, you know, there's an organic connection, Leon Rose, Joel Embiid's former agent. And then you couple that with the fact that what we talked about earlier, the Knicks have the draft capital and young players to be, excuse me, involved in any kind of trade for a top star. And then you talked about the comments uh, to Maverick Carter recently that Embiid made about wanting to win a title in Philly or anywhere else. And so you put all that conjecture together, and there's going to be a speculation about being in his future. But, yeah, EJ, I'm with you. Until he says to Darryl Morey, hey, it's time to move me. I'm demanding a trade. Until that happens, there's nothing really to talk about. And even if that were to happen, I don't think Darryl Morey would move him to the Knicks if all things were equal from different suitors and he had a, a package that maybe was 95 cents on the dollar to the Knicks package from another team. I would assume that he'd move him out of the division. So I think there's a lot of hurdles yet to be cleared until we can talk seriously about Joel Embiid to the Knicks. But the the loose conversation, the speculation around it, I think is always going to be there, uh, particularly with the uncertainty in Philadelphia right now around the James Harden situation.
2: As as I've said before, uh, the Knicks start dealing with Danny Ainge was difficult. Wait till they talk to Daryl Morey about his franchise (laughs) player. I think that that won't go maybe as smoothly as some Knicks fans will hope. Ian Bagley, you can catch his work with Sny both on television and on the website, snytv. Make sure you check out the new season of the putback when that comes back as well. So, Ian, thank you again so much for joining us. Really appreciate this time. I appreciate
1: you, fellas. Enjoy the rest of the summer. Talk to you soon.
2: Thank you.